here and do you know how there's some comedians who you you watch their stand-up and you just feel like you shouldn't find this funny because they're being purposely offensive to make you laugh uh, and then you feel shitty for laughing but you laughed anyway uh a little bit but then it's also like I kind of remove myself in that headspace to just be like, it's okay, things are funny. After this hour-long thing, I'll go back to thinking everything you said was heinous. <laughs> but up in, but during this hour, I'll just let it all slide. Oh, man. I watched... Like, Tom, <laughs> like Bill Burr and Tom Segura are two stand-up comedians who, like, all of their shit just makes me laugh so hard. And none of it's okay. <laughs> I haven't listened to either of them in quite a while, so... Can you, would you like to repeat anything? Uh, like, I don't know. Like, I'm sure, you, I'm sure you've all heard, like, Bill Burr's stand-up where, you know, he talks about, like, it should be okay to hit women. I have not heard that, actually. Oh, uh, well, just like, you know, occasionally everyone needs to get hit. It's the whole thing. It's like, sometimes you're just being really mean and... If you're immune to getting hit, then you're going to continue to just be really mean. So if it's the fear of getting hit that keeps men from saying stupid shit a lot of the time to people who are way bigger than them. <laughs> so why don't women have to have that fear? Like, it's awful sen- sentiment. Yes. But man, the way he delivers it's funny. Um, While I understand the sentiment, I would say that uh, I actually feel like I have experienced that before. And it was worthwhile. I was once... Uh, slapped, slap punched. I can't. It, it was kind of both <laughs> in the face when I was like in ninth grade, and I deserved it. And it was one of the best things that I could have had happen to me at that specific moment. And so, uh, and that that's an experience that uh, a lot of people never have to have. That's true. That's true. But I I, I feel like sure it wasn't life changing, but it definitely. Uh, maybe it was a little bit life or attitude changing where I was like, I should be more careful about things I say and to whom I say them. Before we go any further, do you want to give any uh, shout outs to whatever that, that sound is in your background? <laughs> yeah. So I, we have a friend, Megan, over and her dog, Cooper, is a tiny ch- chihuahua <laughs> or like a or a pincher, tiny miniature pincher, maybe, I think. Not Chihuahua, that's wrong. He's the size of a Chihuahua, but I believe he's a miniature pincher. And uh, he's got a very high, quick, high pitched bark. And he sees cats, so he's probably talking at the cats right now. He's not talking at perhaps the much larger miniature pincher that is your dog? No, because Annie's like super chill. Annie's probably just sitting there, like looking at him, but being otherwise completely non. Nondescript. I imagine Brownie's probably doing the same thing. Brownie doesn't seem like the kind of cat that gives a fuck. That's true, but I think he's a little less uh, familiar with cats, so he's like, oh my god, furry thing, not a dog. <laughs> alert, alert. Uh, yeah, and, and Tom Segura is the other one, and he does a lot of just really offensive stuff. Uh, and I, I, I don't want to laugh at half of their stuff, but I always do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, so one thing that you'll you'll realize though is a lot of it is the comedic timing. Um, like I used to think, oh, you know, because of the jokes they tell, it's actually that much better. And I used to think, you know, I enjoy a good swear word, and there are times when I think 
a good swear is great for the comedic timing, but there are some comedians that I find hilarious, like Jim Gaffigan, who never swear. And so it's kind of like his jokes are just more the timing and the way he delivers them is, you know, 70% of it for me. The observation of humanity may not even be the most interesting part, but the, the way he delivers it is what makes it, you know, interesting. Who's the other really famous... Brian Regan is the other famous one that never cusses. Oh, I haven't listened to any of his stuff. I I, I don't really think he's... I think Jim Gaffigan's really funny, but I don't yeah. think Brian Regan's that funny, but you can I cannot deny that Brian Regan is extremely successful as a stand-up comedian. Like, he's one of the yeah. most famous stand-up comedians. Yeah. Uh, Mitch Hedberg rarely ever cussed. He did occasionally, though. That's he true. He was also but, really funny. And his comedic style was just drastically different than anyone <laughs> before or since, in my opinion. You mean just being up on stage, seeming completely stoned out of his mind at all times? Yeah, and, and yeah. just like the way he delivered jokes was like almost every single joke seemed like a haiku. It's like he would say he he'd say three lines, and it was just the best thing you've ever heard. Yeah, super deadpan. Yeah. Patton Oswalt's always been one of my favorite stand-up comedians. Um, I do love I love Patton Oswalt. I he put out a new special on Netflix last year. And it took me a long time to watch it. I just recently watched it for the first time because this is the first thing he's done since his wife died. Yeah, yeah. And I was afraid that it was going to be a super downer. Yeah. Uh, and it was. It was, like, yeah. It was funny, but there was a lot in there that I was, like, tearing up at because, you know, you could tell he'd been going through some shit. Yeah, um, I, I imagine. It wasn't... I, it, I wouldn't watch the newest one if all I wanted to do was laugh, you know, because it's, it's got some sad shit in there. You you know that it's going to contain some emotionally explicit material. Yeah. Let's put yeah. it that way. <laughs> emotionally explicit. Forced crying. Um, yeah, so I would say, like, Patton Oswalt is probably one of my favorites. Um, like one of my favorite bits by him is the sky cake. It's the old sky cake dodge, <laughs> which we've also talked about in this podcast before. But yeah, and we've linked to it in the show notes. If and... you haven't seen that, it's one of me and Aaron's favorite stand-up bits. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, but one of the other great things he does, which it never made it into the, it didn't. Most of it didn't make it into the episode. But he was a guest on an episode of Parks and Rec. Oh yes, yeah. And in the episode, he filibusters the town hall meeting by talking about Star Wars, but he actually went on for like 15 minutes, <laughs> and they just took like little 10 sec. they took like three or four 10-second clips from 15 minutes. And so that's why the clips that they put in the show are so convincing, because they didn't film the clips, they just let him <laughs> literally rant. For 15 minutes. And all of it was improvised. Like, he all didn't of it. pre-write that. Like, all of it was, like, Star Wars fan fiction mixed yeah. with, like, some other universes that he just makes up on the spot. And it's yeah. so good. He's like, <laughs> go ahead. He's got a new TV show coming out that makes me so excited because I like him so much. But the trailers for the show just look really bad. It doesn't look oh, funny really? at all. Huh. What's it called? Uh, I think it's called, like, A-plus or something. It's a show where, like, he's a principal of a school, and then, like, one of the teachers is just there temporarily. He, like, they think they've hired this teacher full-time, but he's just there temporarily for a reason that they don't really make clear in the trailer. And so he doesn't really care about teaching at all. He's just there to get paid for a couple weeks and then leave. 
is what the, the trailer made it look like it was. Anyway, what, is it AP Bio? Oh yeah, that's it. Okay, with uh, the one guy from It's Always Sunny. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I never watched a lot of It's Always Sunny. I just found some of it to just be way too sad, intense. <laughs> you know, like it was. I had the, the same was... problem and the same feelings about The Office, uh, about Parks and Rec, and about um, It's Always Sunny. Is that like I see like the funny clips and they are hilarious and they are so funny uh-huh. but the whole show together there's just so much awkwardness that i don't need yeah to but feel. but it's all sunny is is like in a completely different like realm in my opinion like uh parks and rec is typically upbeat most of it's upbeat it can be awkward ish uh, the office is awkward S- sunny is like always awkward and just super sad like and and people joke it's like they are the embodiment of the four worst people on the planet and it's it's amazing it's hilarious but it's also like oh my god it's it's really intense for how dumb they are i guess well this intro went a bit off the rails it did Okay, Rob, do you do any snow sportsing? Nope. I avoid all cold weather activities in general. Okay. Have you ever done any snow sportsing? Uh, I think my parents took me up Mount Rainier when I was four years old and we went tubing down. Okay. <laughs> nice. Okay, so that's your only... <laughs> so I have, I have some fun stories. I was in Whistler last weekend, which is well, last week, which is why we skipped last week. Oh, we should have probably um, addressed that, huh? We should have. We did. We skipped last week. Although, we could have just said we didn't and just continued like nothing happened. Well, we were both on vacation last week at some point, so we decided to not film an episode. Or yeah. record? Record. We didn't record. film anything. Yeah. Um, but we went to Whistler, which is in British Columbia in Canada, which is a great, great place. Um, one of my friends describes Whistler as adult Disney World. Um, because even if you don't like doing snow stuff, there's lots of other cool stuff that you can do in the summer and in the winter. Some you know, of my friends that I know that probably will listen to this podcast would describe Disney World as as adult Disney World. That's that's true. <laughs> I, I there are there are people that would describe Disney World as adult Disney World. Um, but yeah, so so we went to Whistler. You, you know, my, my I had my back issues, which I've I've been working through. By the way, did I tell you I went to my physical therapist? I went to see a physical therapist about it because my doctor was like, you should go to physical therapy. And uh, so she did all these tests, like to see, oh, what's your strength in certain things? She looked at me like super deadpan, and she was like, "Yo, your quads, trash. <laughs> your hip flexors, trash." Uh, your, your, your abs, trash. (laughs) Your back and your hamstrings, pretty good. Uh, (laughs) but you really need to fix all that other shit lest your back just turn into a crumpled mess because it's the only muscles you use on your entire body. And I was like, oh, thanks. Appreciate it. Is that because you only do one kind of exercise? Yeah. And it's because she's like, no, you're also, you're just, you're lazy. Like my core, she's like, you should always be pulling it in like 10%. She's like, and you don't, you just let it go. 
You just, you know. Does anyone sit there, like, flexing their core 10% all the time? Is that a thing that people do? You're supposed to. It's uh, also, people always tell me to sit up. Does anyone sit fully up? You're supposed to, again. I think it's one of those things where you're just going to slowly degrade if you don't. (laughs) And so, either way, I'm, like, excessively lazy about not using my core, blah, blah, blah. But it's been getting a little bit better. Did some physical therapy. Went to Whistler and I thought, okay, well, since I screwed it up doing snowboarding, I'm going to try some skiing. So go skiing. I'm like way worse at skiing. You know the rating systems? There's like green, blue, black, double black. Green is like a nice, chill, easy going 10 miles per hour. Blue is going to be probably... 15 to 25, depending on how you take it. And then black is going to still be about the same. It's just way harder because of either moguls or it's straight down or something like that. Uh, I I mean, you can't. And a blue, you can get up to 30, 35 if you want to. And then if you're in the Olympics, you can get up to 70, apparently. Um, but anyway, so we're, you know, we hit them going maybe 30 sometimes. So we're skiing. I could do blues on skis. And, oh my god, my quads were destroyed. Like, the last run, I was, I just, I could barely function. I was, I was taking a break, like, every minute. So I would go for a minute, and then take a break for, for 30 seconds. Go for a minute, take a, like, I was completely trashed. So then, fast forward to two days later, I'm like, okay, I'll go back to snowboarding, because that was awful. And the thing about Whistler is, like, if you're in a small mountain... Like near where I live, you can do the whole run on skis and then you get on the lift and you get that break for five minutes and then you do it again, rinse and repeat. It's not too bad. The thing about Whistler is you could legitimately be at the top and if you wanted to go all the way to the bottom, it would take you 25 minutes. Nonstop, no breaks. And so I was like, if I'm going to have more fun and try to like actually keep up with the people I'm with, I need to switch back to my board. So snowboard, all good. Um... And then this is where my nugget to all of the people doing snowboard snow sports uh, comes in. Snowboarding is way better. Why does anyone ski? Skiing's the worst. Go ahead, go get yourself a board, learn to snowboard. Your life will be better. I promise. You'll be able to go way faster. You'll feel way cooler. Um, and then you can immediately do double blacks because that's how easy snowboarding is. That's the end of my rant. So that. you went to a physical therapist that told you you needed to work on your quads. You found a really great, fun quad exercise. You said, fuck this, I'm going back to the easy thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be fair, though, snowboarding is also pretty hard on your quads. But skiing was just like a weird, even more hard on my quads. Uh, so, yeah, you're right. I was like, fuck that. <laughs> went back to snowboarding. Um but I was with some friends, so shout out to Haley. She's been on the podcast before. Uh, she's a fucking maniac on skis. Like, she will be at the top of Whistler, and she will go the whole fucking way down at 30 miles per hour nonstop. The only thing she will do is occasionally look behind and laugh maniacally. And we then she'll keep going. Did we? Okay, it's when she's skiing, it's twice as maniacal. Um like, ah, you're not going to catch me. And then she keeps going. And it's just the entire time, even snowboarding, I'm like, my quads are going to die. But this is not the most interesting part. Because it goes back to your hatred of cold weather. 
um, Haley had to be back in where we live at noon the next day. And we carpooled. So it was either... It's like a solid four-hour drive with no traffic, no border border weight. Okay? Four hours. Um, with the border and some traffic, you're looking at five. I normally just round it up to five. So we could either leave at 6 a.m., in which case, you know, five hours, we'd get there around 11, get home, and then she could change and go to, go to get there at noon. That seemed a little aggressive, so we decided to leave the night before at 10 p.m. Um, however, it was snowpocalypse. Uh, seriously, from Whistler all the way to um, Everett, Washington, which is like mm, two hours, an hour and a half south of the border, and Whistler's like an hour and a half north of the border. So instead of it taking four hours... It took seven hours <laughs> because the entire time, it's like 3 a.m. and we are driving on pure snow the entire way. It was insane. So it was snow the whole way. Um, and what was funny is that was my entire training with driving on snow. Like I learned everything that I know, now know about driving on snow from that drive because no one was on the road. Right, So it was like, I have to admit, it felt safer because no one was there. It was like, worst case scenario, you know. All of us die. Well, I mean, you got the guardrails and stuff. Like, worst case scenario, I break too hard. We spin around a few times. Um, We we were all like a little crazy because we had been up all day and then, uh, you know, driving home at 10 10 p.m. and didn't get home until 5 a.m., so we, we had lots of jokes about if you're in a car and you realize that you're losing your mind, you should just hit the hazard button so that everyone knows that you're losing your mind. But it's cool. So this is where I was really getting at. Fun tips for driving in snow. Don't ever fucking brake. Just don't. Like, whatever you're thinking, don't. Now, you got a stop, stoplight. Okay, sure, you're going to have to break into it. But you better have started a long-ass time ago, or hopefully you're going uphill, because you won't stop, probably. We had four-wheel drive, and there was still some issues with that. Next thing, you're on a highway going 40, let's say. Uh, 40, 45 was the most comfortable I felt, probably. Um, so you definitely don't want to be going like 60 or 70. That would be so uncomfortable. So 40, 45, I'm thinking. But what's interesting is you kind of want to find the rut. There are no lanes. Lanes are dead to everyone. So if somebody's going to pass you, they just kind of guess, I think this is a two-lane section, and I'm going to pass you now. And so my thing was get as far right, and their thing was get as far left, and then they pass you. Same if you're going to pass someone else. But because there's no lanes, pretty much everyone just drives in the one lane that some guy chose. So you've got these like two lines in the road, and that's where everyone's driving. But what will happen is if you're either trying to pass or being passed and you want to like make space for someone, you'll kind of get out of those ruts. And those sections are pretty slippery. So much so that you'll like all of a sudden realize, I'm just sliding at 40 miles per hour at this point. <laughs> um, 
And that's, so what did I say? Don't fucking break. That's rule number two. The new rule number one. Rule number two, do not ever correct. So if you're like, oh God, I'm sliding. For the love of God, your touch on the wheel should be a tenth of a finger. Don't turn at all. Because if you're like, oh my God, I'm not in my rut that's nice and kind of paved for me. I'm sliding now. And you turn into the rut like you normally would on a highway. You're going to, you're going to start spinning. Like you can just feel it. Like you're like, nope, if I turn into that, it's so you just have to be patient. Like, oh, just continue sliding at 40 miles per hour and, and slowly see if I can coax that direction by giving little tippy tappies to the wheel. So that's rule number two. Number one, don't ever break. Rule number two, do not ever overcorrect. At some point, I was kind of like in the rut and we were like shaking back and forth because the rut was kind of moving. And some people in the car were like, oh my God. Fix it, Aaron. And I was like, actually, I've realized in the past three hours that you don't want to fix it. Just let it, just let yourself kind of slip and shake a little. Now, okay, and then rule number three. Are you uncomfortable right now? Take your fucking foot off of the gas. (laughs) Those are the three rules. If you follow those rules, you're going to be okay. There you go. That's my Aaron's tips for driving seven hours in the snow. And what Rob's tips are? Don't live in don't, anywhere. Don't drive in the snow. Stay don't, home. Don't, don't snow. Yeah, so it was pretty intense. Um, there were a few pieces of adrenaline. Um, but typically, we just really, it was just like an exercise in being careful and trying not to lose your mind that normally you'd be going 75 because the speed limit is 70. And now you're going 40 because everything is covered in snow. Um, yeah, so those are the three rules for driving in snow. And I promise, I, I really think that um, probably any accidents that happen in snow are because people don't know those rules yet and get freaked out. And like your instinct when you're fucking up driving is to break. And braking is the number one way to start sliding in a direction that you cannot control. Uh, and then same thing with two people have a tendency to also overcorrect, especially like if you're trying to dodge something. Nope, you just need to let it take your foot off the gas and then try to slowly correct. Um, and that is the end of my topic: learning to drive in snow after seven hours. Pretty much an expert. Yeah, you could have looked that up online, I think. Actually, and honestly, I haven't looked it up. Those are just Aaron's rules. But I'm guessing that that's everyone else's rules, too. <laughs> Considering I don't think there's any other way to do it. Well, I will find some, some rules online, regardless of what they say, and put them in the show notes that so we can compare. It sounds good. <laughs> any questions about that, Rob? Uh... I, I mean, if it was snowpocalypse, I would have just waited till the morning. Yeah, we were thinking that, but I'm actually wondering if it would have been worse at 6 a.m. Because it was obviously going to still be snowy as shit at 6 a.m. And I don't know how much it actually melted. Like, I should have texted the people who left the next morning and just asked, like, were you in snow, like, the entire way home? Or had it melted south of the border by that point or whatever? Um, Yeah. 
we may never know. <laughs> Because my one-word response will be, who the fuck cares about any of this? We're going to talk about video games for a second. Okay. Um, for the viewers at home who don't know, is that in the old days, when you bought a video game, you gave someone some money, and they gave you a game. Oh, and yeah. And okay. you went and played that game. And that True. Was, that's that's how it, that, that's it. Yeah, it was a simple transaction. Um, that is still the case occasionally. Yeah, but with most of the big games nowadays, that's no longer it. Nowadays, they've got a thing called DLC, which stands for downloadable content, where you'll buy a game, and then somewhere down the road, they're going to add some small thing to the game, usually not super important to the game or not super game changing but you have to pay a little bit more to unlock it how do you feel about dlc how do i feel about it yeah um i i would say in in okay it's my initial thought before you shit on it because I know you're going to wreck my position, I'm sure, is that at its core, I think it's fine, like as a business model. Uh, But I think that it has become increasingly exploitative. There's a fine line that you got to tread. Yes. Uh, If you're going to have DLC in a game. So what a lot of people are going to be familiar with are things like Candy Crush on your phone, where... You can play the game almost entirely for free, but if you pay a little bit more, you can play it faster. Like, there's a certain number of games you can play, and if you want to unlock more game time, you either wait an hour or pay. That's a version of DLC, where you're, yeah. they're microtransactions with a little tiny bit of money a whole bunch of times. Yeah, that, that's shitty. That's, that's kind of like the shittiest example. I don't think it's the shittiest. You don't think um, it's the shittiest? I don't think it's the shittiest. Okay, uh, so it's the second to shittiest. I think the shittiest example is when uh, being the ability to purchase the DLC translates into the the ability to be better at or get more uh, wins out of the game, like especially multiplayer games. Like the biggest one that's everyone's pissed off about right now is Star Wars Battlefront. Right or or not right now like six months ago or whatever it was it wasn't it wasn't even that long ago the thing that they're pissed off with there is that they advertise the Star Wars game using a bunch of famous Star Wars characters you know you see yeah. in the trailers you still, you'll see like Darth Vader as being someone you can play as and you'll see you know Han Solo as a character you can play as and then you actually buy the game for sixty dollars which is a full price game you start it up and you can't play those characters unless you pay money. Yeah. Well, and then, and then also, if you do pay that money, then you can play those characters, and in those multiplayer matches, you have an edge now, right? Like yes. you're a character that has you know more abilities, or you got a better gun, or you got a. And this extends beyond that game, but like you now, because you paid money, have an edge, right? There's a couple things that happened in in video game in general 
culture history that have made me have a mixed opinion on DLC. One of them is, when video games first came out, like, the old shitty Atari games and stuff like that, they were like $80. Yeah. In 1980s dollars. Yeah. So video game prices haven't really moved. Like, they were $50 through the 90s and early 2000s, and now they're $60. Yeah. That is not keeping up with inflation. So, True. overall, video games have gotten cheaper, and they have yeah. not gotten cheaper to make. Now, the market for for big AAA titles is larger than it used to be, as there's more and more people that have computers and are and consoles and are playing these games. Yeah. But the overall price of games is lower than it was when we were kids, when there was no DLC. Sure. And secondly, we have done a lot of other things in our lives that were essentially DLC. Mm. Uh, for instance, playing card games, like Magic the Gathering. By yeah, buying okay. another booster pack, you give yourself an advantage against your friends. Sure. Okay. So the more money you can spend on cards, the better your deck will probably be. And that is yeah. essentially the exact same thing as DLC in a video game. Sure. However, like, a lot of those communities have tried to work around that fact. So, like, I've only ever literally played Magic once. Uh, not once. Not, like, one game, but one session of games, I guess you could say. And in that, we did this thing where the group bought a certain number of packs, and then you... I forget the model, but you do these, like, a draft. Pass, a draft, yeah, and then you get to pick your card. And because I'm an idiot and have never played... Like, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. Uh, but it at least somewhat levels the playing field. Like, we're going to play today, and we're going to take these six or whatever packs. Everyone gets to, you know, you go around the table drafting cards from these packs, and then everyone's in the same playing field, basically. You know, Right. right. Uh, we did a couple drafts in high school, um, and that's super fun, but that's definitely not the majority of people playing Magic. And there's other games like this, mm. like... Okay. Warhammers like this, where the more yeah. stuff you buy, the better your army is. And there's, I mean, there's a ton of examples of, of stuff yeah, where okay. you, the more money you spend on it, the better you are against your opponents. Yeah. Um, now, I would say my favorite type of DLC is the type that has nothing but an aesthetic impact on the game. So, League of Legends is a fairly good example of that. You can buy characters. Okay, that's true. Um, that's true. But you can also, and it's not an, an inordinate amount of time, you can also get them through playing. I think a better but, example of that are games like Counter-Strike and other shooters where the only thing you can purchase are skins for your guns. Yeah, and so that's what I was going to say. There are other games um, like Rocket League, for example. That's a game where... The only thing you can purchase is things that don't affect the gameplay at all. So you're right. With League of Legends, you still you can affect the gameplay by being able to buy a character that, you know, someone would have to play a certain number of hours to unlock. You know, by getting enough in-game points to unlock it. So that's true. You just brought up another two different types of models. There are games like League of Legends and Star Wars Battlefront, the game that's been shit on by the gaming community lately, where if you played the game enough, you could unlock most everything by just playing it. Correct. And then there are games like Counter-Strike, 
where there is no way you could ever get those gun skins without paying real money. Oh, interesting. So it's like literally just a status symbol. Well, and see, that's one of the arguments that, like that's bad for Battlefront 2 is there's a bunch of like articles about how the amount of time to do some of these unlocks was insanity. They were talking about like, 200 hours of game time. Yeah, something crazy. Whereas like League of Legends, you can get enough points to buy a new character every two to three hours of game time. Now, it's going to take you a long time to get all of the unlocks, but the very essence of the game is to keep these things balanced. In, in Battlefront, it's clear that the Darth Vader character and the normal character that, that you get is not balanced at all. In League of Legends, they spend thousands of hours just talking about the balance of these things. So you could theoretically be just as good. You don't get to play as many different characters, but you can be just as good without those unlocks. Whereas in Battlefront, like, no, you are at a disadvantage because you can never get that Darth Vader ultimate character or whatever. Okay, Um, there's a third model, which I don't know of very many games that have ever done this. Um, but I can think of one, and it wasn't a super popular game, but it was popular enough. There was a game called Lord of the Rings Online, which was an MMORPG mm-hmm. based in the Lord of the Rings world. Yeah. And in that game, what you could do was you could pay a monthly fee, okay. and you would continue to have access to the game. Or you could pay a much larger one-time fee and have permanent access to everything. Okay. Um, so a lot of MMOs have the monthly fee model. model. Yeah. Well, a lot of the MMOs used to have that, but no game has ever managed to succeed at it since World of Warcraft pretty much dominated the market for so long. And then by the time that World of Warcraft was dying out, no other MMOs were able to step into that void. Yeah. Um, my question to you is, if you could pay some large, larger fee that was more in line with what inflation would have a game cost today versus what it used to cost in the early 90s. Would you rather that, or would you rather have the microtransaction DLC-type model where you're paying for a lot of individual things? Um, honestly, and I'm sure this is contentious, I would prefer the latter. And here's why. I, I, would, I actually think that, personally, the League of Legends model is a pretty cool model. And the reason I say that is because one one thing we forgot to mention is how much is League of Legends to start? It's free. So you can play the game, albeit maybe not all the characters. Like I said, they're balanced or whatever. But you can start playing for free. You can be anyone with the ability to install the game and play it for free. And... Honestly, you can play it for much cheaper than any most other games because it doesn't require that much power out of your computer to even play. Um, the thing that I like about that model, though, is I kind of put money into it. I've probably paid them about $30 worth of, hey, I've been playing this game for a while. I kind of want that character, and it's a good, it's a good game, and, and I think that you know I don't mind putting this $5 in to show my support for what I've gotten out of it in the last three months or whatever, right? Um, that's kind of the same thing with Rocket League. Rocket League was super cheap when it came out. I think I bought it for like 5 or $10. 
But I went and bought a few of the things just to say, like, man, I, this game has so much lasting potential and I've enjoyed so much like playing it with, with people that I want to give them another $5. I'll buy a few skins for it, but I feel good about giving them this next $5 because it was only 5 or 10 or whatever it was to start. So I actually kind of like that model where it's cheaper to start and then you can do almost everything in the game, but you're empowered to then say, I'll put in $5 to give to, to show my support um, for the, the things that I like. I don't think that's the way it's going to go, especially not on consoles, I, I would guess. Maybe it would. What you see a lot of is like Breath of Zelda Breath of the Wild, like... You pay $60 for the game, and then you pay $25 or $20 for some DLC packs. Um, yeah, but I actually kind of like the latter where it's cheaper to begin with. It, it's Because what, what that shows me is like it's more capitalistic almost. And that's one of the things that people hated about Battlefront. Like, I'm going to put $60 into this game and then not even have all the unlocks. And then they're just going to kind of like tear 30 extra dollars out of me to get the DLC or whatever or to do these unlocks. Whereas the it's free or cheap to start with is much more capitalistic. Like, I'm, I'll pay $5 and try it. Play it for an hour. Hated it. Fuck it. I wasted $5. But, hey, I liked it. Like, I'll throw in a little bit more money or do this unlock that doesn't drastically change the game but just makes me show support and get a little bit of something in the game uh, to be more of like a democracy-based, you know, type of system of like the game is actually good. It's enticing me to both play it and continue to play it. And you're going to have people on both ends. I would argue, though, that the people who can't pay anything into League of Legends, who have literally played it for free, and the people who have paid $400 into it, literally neither of them have any advantage over the other after 50 hours, like 20 hours of gameplay. You can grab a few of the characters that you like after making that maybe even 10 hours of gameplay and basically be where you want to want to be. And by the time you play five or six more games, you'll have enough points to buy the next character you want. And then you can play that character for five or ten games and then buy the next one you want all with in-game points. And so actually applying that money to skins and shit like that that has no actual value to the gameplay other than aesthetics makes it feel more like you have, you know, enticed me to play this game enough and I feel good about giving you this. Like, I am willingly giving you this $5 because it's not actually going to improve anything other than aesthetics. I don't need it to win or anything. It just feels much more um, democratic, I guess. <laughs> Does that make sense? Um, yeah, it makes sense. Like, I don't, I don't, you're not wrong. Um, but just as an example of where where this is like the most famous example of how things can kind of go a little nuts. Have you ever heard of the game called Train Simulator? I I have, and I think I know where you're going. Yeah, uh, Train Simulator is a game that you can buy for PC. It is twenty five dollars. In Train Simulator, they have extremely realistically uh, simulated real life trains where like you have the real life dashboard that train operators have and they've made a lot of real life terrain that you can just drive trains through 
Yeah, not my cup of tea, but you know. I can't imagine why anyone would ever play this, but it exists and it's relatively popular. There's also a truck know. simulator. There's farm like a thousand simulator. farms. Yeah, there's like a thousand of them. Flight simulator is a really big one. Yeah. Um, people actually use flight simulator as training and how to fly real planes. That's how accurate these yeah. things are. Yeah. Anyway, Aaron, would you like to take a stab that if you were to purchase all of the DLC for Train Simulator, which is a $25 game, yeah. if you were to purchase 100% of the DLC, how much money would you have to spend? So, because I know it's extreme, I, I don't know the exact number, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be kind of conservative and not go outrageous because we're obviously hope, thinking it's outrageous. I'm going to go for $500. Right. So, uh, wrong. By what factor? Is it ten, is a factor of 10? Nope. Okay. Um, so, if you were to purchase Train Simulator 2018, you would uh-huh. spend 24.99. Yes. If you were then then and on top of that go on to purchase uh all 468 DLCs, <laughs> you would need to spend an additional $7,543.68. So uh, your out-of-pocket after full expenditure would be $7,568.68 for 100% of all of the train simulator and its DLC. Yeah. Uh, so... <sighs> Some games do it wrong. Um, yeah. I don't – I've never played Train Simulator because I just can't imagine that it's fun. Like I'm reading some – like, oh, let me read you some of the names of some of these DLCs. Okay. Train Simulator Western Hydraulics Pack. Wow. That is $20. Wow. Um, train Simulator Aero Train Steamlined Train Add-on is $20. <laughs> train Simulator Western – Situan Pass. Oh God, that word's hard. Why did I read this one? C U J I A N G Y A N. Anyway, yeah. Um, it's just a couple of maps by the sound of it, and it's forty dollars. Yeah. Jesus. The Count of Monster Disco is just the name of a DLC. I don't know what it is, but it's called the Count of Monster Disco. It's ten dollars. <laughs> so I would say that yeah, that that's an extreme case and that's one that like obviously seems redonkulous um the thing actually the number one thing that i hate about that type of stuff is it's so difficult to obtain it and manage it in the game too you have to like probably manage it through steam or something i wonder how much data all that shit is too i'd be curious to know but um yeah, that that's a good. So you could probably make a similar argument with something like League of Legends, though. You could say, well, if you got the game for free, and then immediately uh, bought everything you can buy, right? It's probably up there. It's probably not. I mean, it's probably up there. I don't know what the math is on it, but it's probably not cheap um, if you bought everything you can buy. Uh, however. The one big difference there is that theoretically, at least, you can get some of the stuff you want with some gameplay. And with Train Simulator, I don't think you get any of those D- DLCs except with money. 
Yeah, I've never played Train Simulator, so I don't know if you can slowly unlock more trains. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I, I just wanted to point out that, that there's there's some ways of doing it wrong. And I think that there the gaming are. community in large, at large, like, does a good job poli- self-policing this in some ways. Where, like, League of Legends, which has a microtransaction system where they nickel and dime you for a lot of little things, but they aren't such important things that it changes the gameplay dramatically, and yeah. thus it remains an incredibly popular game. Yeah. Whereas games like Star Wars Battlefront, where people... <laughs> feel like they've been shit on by the publisher sold a million and a half copies under what their bottom estimate was they would sell yeah and so that that's one thing that if there's anything that the game you can say what you will about the gaming community if there if there's anything that they're good at they're probably better at boycotts than almost anyone else (laughs) Yeah, they are. Right? Like, it's it's pretty incredible how, you know, you see a few reviews on Reddit, and then all of a sudden the top five posts on the front page of Reddit are about how no one should buy that game. And, and then no one buys that game. And then no one buys that game. And and there's even things like, oh, fuck, what was that, the, the open world one that got a bunch of shit? Oh, No Man's Sky? No Man's Sky, yeah. Like, that one wasn't even DLC. It was just overpromised by a billion. Yeah, it was a Kickstarter game that they yeah. had all of the stuff that they were going to do. And all people, like it said, it's so cool when people bought in. And the game came out, and it was pretty much Spaceship Simulator, where you just kind of drove a spaceship through through empty space. Yeah. And, and uh, people were very upset. And so, like, the, the, like, the number of active player graph, like, where it has the active players over time, is hilarious. Because there is an absolutely ridiculous spike on release and then nothing because everyone just collectively abandoned it yeah and even some of the platforms started offering refunds and then issuing those refunds to the company like to the publisher and shit like it it was a big fucking deal and because you know those platforms were kind of excited for it too, right? They're they're getting you know whatever it is five percent from every sale, right? If you buy it on Steam or whatever, and so they probably didn't mind talking it up. But once they realized how negative the backlash was, they were like, "Fine, we'll let anyone return it as long as it's been within thirty days or whatever it was." And they had something like like tens of thousands of returns that week or something. Space Engineers is another famous example of this, where there was like a really popular game. Well, it's popular as this type of game gets, and I played it a lot back then too. Uh-huh. Where you're, it's just kind of like Minecraft in space, where you build oh, yeah. spaceships and you can fly around mine materials. Anyway, uh, it was really popular, and they implemented this patch that was long promised, where they were going to implement planets with like gravity, and you could go to the planet's surface and do all this cool stuff. Yeah. But it was totally broke. Okay. Made the game nigh unplayable. Like, whenever you got anywhere close to a planet's gravity, you had crashing issues. And then, like, even if you could make a spaceship work where it would work in space and in gravity, it was super hard to do. And it was just not fun. And it wasn't well implemented. And it was terrible. So, you know what their response was? No. They came out with another game called Space Engineers Classic that you could buy for $15 that was literally the exact same game before the, the planet patch. Wow. That's a strategy I've never heard of. I got an idea, guys. We'll fuck up our game and then offer <laughs> offer people to downgrade <laughs> to before the fuck up 
for money. It's genius. Yeah, the players. Wow. Rebelled. Yeah. And now nobody plays Space Engineers anymore. Nobody yeah. bought Space Engineers Classic, and nobody plays Space Engineers Regular. Like, like, wow. They've done a lot of stuff to try to improve it, and no one went back. They were just, like, the general, like, douchebaggery of that move just turned so many people so hard to, off that they just yeah. never coming back. And they were coming up with another one called, like, Medieval Engineers, where you build castles and stuff. Nobody bought nobody, that either. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's so that that's one of the things where I like this more of a initial low cost, and then if you want, you can kind of like support by buying things that are not meaningful in game, because there's a lots of good success stories. I, I feel like Rocket League is one of those success stories. You know, it came out; it was pretty cheap, small publisher. Like they didn't know whether it was going to land at all. Do it with Rocket League for this example rather than Minecraft as the example of this? Minecraft is a good Minecraft is an even better example. But Rocket League is similar as well, where it was just like I don't think I don't know that the publisher thought it was gonna land so well. And so instead of being like No Man's Sky where they're talking this shit up and over promising, they're just like, We're gonna make a game where you have cars, they have rockets, and you shoot a ball into a hole. <laughs> and people are like, that sounds stupid and kind of funny, so I'll try it out. And then everyone fucking loved it. And so now, and so then that injected that company with a bunch of cash. And so they, they've made tons of both updates that you can pay for, right? That are kind of, you know, DLC that give you aesthetic stuff. And they've made a bunch of in-game updates that you don't have to pay for. So that everyone gets for free. So it's like, oh, the version where it's on ice, or the version where it's hockey, or the version where it's basketball. Like, none of that is DLC. It's just that, like, okay, we got a huge injection of cash from tons of people buying this game and buying some of the in-game aesthetics. So we'll make the game better for everyone, no matter whether you bought zero DLC or a thousand DLC things. You know, and yeah, you're right. Minecraft is a good example of that too, where it's like, hey, I created this kind of little shitty game. I'll give it to you. For a while, wasn't it just donation based? No, it was all. Well, I don't know. I got in at the end of Alpha, so at okay. the end of Alpha, you had to pay twenty bucks. I thought it was like ten or twenty something like yeah. that. Yeah, but do you know how much he sold that shit to to your company? Nine billion or something, right? No, it was just a billion. Oh, okay, well, still fucking wow. Yeah, yeah. He sold his little. Like, like li- deliberately shitty graphics. Yeah. Kind of. I guess, like, the technological achievement of that game is that you the entire world is editable and infinite. It's, it's like a cultural phenomenon, right? It's like the so game in and of itself phenomenon. is nothing that revolutionary. Like, we've had Legos um, <laughs> for a while. And, you know, there's nothing revolutionary about the game. But people loved it. Right? Like, it's just, it's a great game. It's really I too pers- bad that Notch himself is a huge asshole. Have you ever seen any stuff from him come out no. since then? Oh, God, he's a terrible human being. Notch oh, is the I, guy who created Minecraft. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Well, and the reason why Microsoft valued it so highly, though, is because of, like, uh, you know, VR applications and things like that. Hasn't Microsoft more than gotten their money out of it since? Because they, it, when it went to Microsoft, sure. they started selling it on iPads and stuff. And, like, uh, yeah. all I'm of sure. my coworkers, like, young kids play it on the iPad. I'm sure they're fine. I'm sure if they haven't made up their investment yet, they eventually well, will. Microsoft just made some bad acquisitions, and they've made some good ones. That's, that's this is true. 
Nokia is... being on the other end of the Minecraft spectrum. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> All right, Aaron, that was uh, another week in the books. Is that episode 37? I think it's 37, yeah. Um, how are you feeling about it? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling, feeling good. good? I, I like this one. Um, I, I think the, the game talk was, was good. I don't know how many of our listeners are interested, but I do think that the game space is kind of an interesting economic case study. I, I don't know. It's weird that it's like it's an industry that's very large and not yeah. really young, but they're constantly coming up with new models of how to pay for things. Yeah. Like, yeah. I remember the first time I heard about a video game where you had to pay per month to play it, and I was like, who the fuck would do that? <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. the next time I was like, wait, wait, so they want to implement Counter-Strike except you have to pay $2 to make your gun leopard print? Like, who would do that? <laughs> Yeah, I I agree. There there's a lot of innovation, I guess, you're right, in the payment models in in video games, which is and do you know what honestly, I think in in some cases it has sparked innovation in other areas. Like now there are websites, you know, or or like YouTubers will use Patreon um instead of the mm-hmm. ad model or not they won't use the ad model as much or you know, games will be part of the humble bundle. Um or, you know, there's all kinds of different models for how people try to bring in revenue. Maybe we should come up with one. Have you ever bought a Humble Bundle? I have. For, for anyone who doesn't know, is that they'll put a whole bunch of games into, into like a bundle of games, and you can choose however much you want to pay for that group of games. Like You could pay anywhere from one cent to infinity dollars, and then a percentage of what you pay will go to charity. Yeah. And, like, the first time I told tell someone who doesn't heard of that before is, like, that can't be real. Like, doesn't everyone just pay one cent? And surprisingly, no, everyone no. doesn't just pay one cent. Yeah. I, Which is I, something that gives you a little bit of faith in humanity. Yeah. Now, the averages are never high, but I normally – what I would normally do is pay, like, the average times two or three – well, the average you know. is usually between four and seven dollars. Yeah, I would say is a, is a general average, unless it's like sometimes a big publisher will put a bunch of their games into a bundle, and then you'll see a larger number. But most of the humble bundles are usually indie games and stuff that probably yeah. the developers just want to get their game out to more people. To exactly, yeah. But anyway, we're, we're yeah. once again off topic. Yeah. <laughs> um, so having done this podcast now for thirty-seven episodes, do you feel like you got more than when you started? I got more? What do you mean? Or the listener? Well, like, the whole point of this podcast is that we don't have anything, and I'm wondering if you feel like you've got oh. something. <laughs> uh, hey, uh, nobody listening could see this, but Rob could see my head, and that went <laughs> right over. I was, I completely fucking missed that. You were like, but up. And I was like, ting. <laughs> instead of, uh, I've got nothing. 